just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today. Live Randy Robinson here. And, you know, we've heard this term, deconstructing your faith, a lot lately. We've seen some people just walk away from Christianity. Um, what is all this about? Are, are, are we tearing down? Are we building up? Are we we reconfiguring? Uh, is it good? Is it bad? What, what do we do with all this? Well, today's guest, you're going to, this conversation, I, I hope will engage you. You may like it. You may hate it. <laughs> you, you, may, you may disagree. You may agree. Uh, but the, today's conversation, we're talking from a book uh, called Brick by Brick. Uh, looks like this. It's available wherever you get books. Uh, and it's called Reconstructing the Deconstructed. That's the subtitle on it. The author is Trevor Whitman, and he is my guest today. But before before we launch this conversation, I, I want to read you some of the chapter titles just to give you an idea, some direction we could be going. Celebrity Pastors, that's chapter one. I mean, let's get right to it, okay? Prosperity Gospel, Consumerism, a Political Alignment, Race, the Leadership of Women, and Abuse. So we probably won't be able to cover it all, but buckle your seatbelts up. Chat is open. Hello, Judy. Good to see you. Be a part of the conversation if you're watching live. Leave a comment if you're watching later. Uh, and like, follow, subscribe, and share. Trevor, great to have you on Life Today Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Randy. Really appreciate the opportunity. Okay, so when when this one comes across the desk, I'm, I mean, I've had a few where it's like, okay, what what is going on? Is this someone who's just griping about the church you know i didn't get the sense of that from you but what what are you trying to say to the church overall in this one yeah thanks that's a really great starting point for me uh, i like to always start off by telling people that this is not a church hit job uh, the <laughs> whole point of this book is meant to edify the church uh, it's not meant to be a what is the gospel according to trevor or uh, how exactly we're supposed to do uh, church according to Trevor's five-step method, right? It's, no, it's nothing like that. It genuinely is just discussing topics that impact, you know, the church in America specifically. So I make a, a really strict point to point out that depending on where you're at in the world, obviously churches around the world, they're going to experience different difficulties than we do here. Um, and so I make it a point to talk really specifically about the U.S. church and what the, the church in the United States, you know, has been struggling with. And the the reason why I wrote this book um, is that I was on staff as a children's pastor uh, at one church, and I was on, uh, on staff as a young adults pastor at another, and realized that there were some issues that were kind of some common denominators that I have then, you know, since seen in the church at large in the United States. And, you know, sitting along in those meetings— you know, we discuss like, hey, why do we do this? Why do we do that? And the answer typically came back, we do that because that's just how we've always done it. <laughs> and unfortunately, when you have a system that is built the way that it is, what we're seeing at large is, I mean, it feels like almost every week we're seeing a new scandal from a new church leader or, you know, influencer in the Christian realm, you know, so we see like the Robbie Zacharias's of the world or the Mark Driscoll's, I mean, like li list them all off, right? And for me, um, being, you know, going through those situations that I went through, uh, caused me just to reflect and go, you know, are there things that we should evaluate as local congregations to see, are we doing what 
we're supposed to be doing in these areas. And if so, then great. I really hope my book is affirmative to you. If you read those chapters and say, hey, we're already doing it really well in this area, fantastic. Uh, but the reason why I call it Reconstructing the Deconstructed is because my hope, my aim, my prayer is that everyone that reads this book would just be challenged to think about these topics more critically, uh, look at the Bible to see what they say about these issues, and then take it to their lo local congregation and, and evaluate what they're doing in those areas and saying, hey, is there any areas that we can improve upon uh, to get this closer to what God has intended the church to look like? And so that's really my heart, honestly, Randy. Yeah. And, and there have been people that have read it uh, with the incorrect tone. And then once they have a conversation with me or, you know, they finish the book and, you know, whatever, that they realize, like, my tone is completely for the betterment of the bride. I love the church. I want what's best for the church. I just want the church to look exactly the way God wants us to. Yeah. And uh, I just think right now as a whole in this country, including, you know, me and everyone else, I just think we're missing the mark in some pretty major areas that a lot of folks don't want to talk about. So as you listed out in those subjects, uh, you know, I, I hit some of the big hitters uh, that most people would rather brush under the rug. Yeah. And, OK, so I, I and I get your tone. I hear you. And I appreciate that. That's why we can have a good conversation. Uh, a couple of things before we get to some of the issues, because that's where I think we should be. Um, you mentioned a couple of names. Ravi Zacharias knew him respected him, loved him, had great experiences yeah. with him, was stunned to find out that there was another side that none of us knew. Uh, because you can right. still go back and listen to his messages, and they're great because he's saying they're the truth, and the Word of God doesn't come back void even when it's coming from someone who's got some, I mean, I, I just couldn't have even, it's, it's baffling at times. I mean, that one that one was yeah. a heart stopper. Mark Driscoll, still on, on good terms with him, and he's come on the program talked about his failures in the past i've heard mm -hmm. some accusations that some things are repeating i haven't seen that personally i wouldn't necessarily here's here's where i get here, here's a hard part when you start naming names uh as opposed to the issues it gets it gets sticky quick uh because i could start sure. naming names in the bible i could be like dude, dude david you're King David, Absolutely. adulterer, murder. I mean, you know, Paul, you're really right. quoting Paul. Do you realize that he, he killed Christians? And even to the end, he had this thorn in the flesh. Where, So yeah. the imperfectness of humanity gets sticky real quick because you don't want to defend sure. someone who's doing some things that are really awful. But yet, right. yeah, it, it's tough. And, and, and even, you know, you want to go, okay, you want a good example of celebrity pastor? Let's talk Carl Lentz. You know, I mean, you sure. put a face on it. Right. How do you? That's another scandal. Right, yeah. right. I know. So how do you? How do you work towards the redemption of the individual while tearing down yeah. the ideas that that are destructive to the church? Man, that is a great. Honestly, Randy, that might be the best question I've been asked on an interview. <laughs> man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I'm with you. So I personally, I, I I very intentionally in my book, I don't do any name calling. There's no names. I don't I don't throw any names out there. Um, I'm not, I'm not in the business of dragging people's names through the mud. Um, my point being, and even me dropping the names that I dropped and, and I'll just echo the sentiment, man. Uh, when I was in, I went to Bible college and Ravi Zacharias was a hero of the faith for me. Uh, I really love apologetics. Um, and so same when, when he went through what he went through and everything came out, I was devastated, honestly, uh, devastated. And for me, the whole point of the book, even when I talk about like the abuse chapter, if we want to bring that one up, right? We bring up the abuse chapter again. I don't name names. But what I talk about is 
is yes, we could stick on the names and all the issues that you're talking about. My problem is, is that we have a system that continually is pumping out these stories one after another, after another, after another. Something. And so my, my point, my point in that chapter is, is if this is the fruit of what's coming out, then what we're doing, like you just said, is something is off if the, the product continues to churn out what, what we're seeing on a really wide scale. And to, to, to counter you a little bit, um, I'm not saying people are outside of redemption. I'm not, right? Um, I, I very much believe in, in forgiveness and redemption, those types of things. But even the examples you list, right? You're talking about Saul, right? When he, before he became Paul, all of that. Um, you know, there was a redemption piece, but it wasn't while he was in Christian ministry shepherding uh, the body, right? Um, David, when he had his failings, you know, people love to bring up David, but things were never the same after Bathsheba. They weren't right. Like if you read his his story, like did God forgive him? Yeah, um, but but his influence, like what happened in his life after Bathsheba, if you go if you go look at it, uh, it's it's a problem. And even then, if you look at David, you know we we kind of form it in the shape of yeah, this is you know adultery and like they had an affair. But if you actually if you read it in context in, in the culture of what happened, it's honestly closer to rape than it is to adultery. Mm. And so I, I agree with you like that. That absolutely is an instance of someone that has had failing. Uh, but again, he was a king over Israel. Right. Again, he's not shepherding a flock. It's, it, you know, to me, there is a distinction. There's a difference between the two to some degree. And for me, when I'm looking at the pastors that are in place right now that we continue to, I, you know, I was a part of a mega church here in Tacoma and the pastor that was that was in charge when I was there. Um, you know, went through a very public scandal and uh, it was really devastating to our community. And for me, as just an individual that was on the inside, you know, kind of hearing more of the story just because I was a part of it, mm -hmm. uh, just seeing the, the devastation that came from it because of the influence that he was able to garner. Um, man, I just for me, I go, man, on a wide scale, it feels like the system we have in place is continually creating these situations or allowing these situations to happen that people are being hurt. So, um, I don't know your background. I mean, mine's kind of all over the place, Southern Baptist to Oral Roberts University to United Methodist, which I think my old United Methodist church has gone global. Those of you in the Methodist church know what mm. that means. Uh, and non-denominational for a long time. Now I'm at a Presbyterian church. I love it. So, I mean, I'm, I, I've kind of seen a lot in the charismatic circles. There was this don't touch God's anointed thing going on. That was an absolute right. abuse of scripture because it yes. was like, let me get away with whatever I want to get away with. Do, how do we, how do we get away? And you see this all across the spectrum, by the way, I mean, it, yeah. you see it in the Catholic church, you know, so it, this is in, in the conservative churches. How do we get away from this, um, construct within the church both in authority and maybe even in like the the bylaws of how we set up churches yeah to where spiritual abuse uh abuse of power is not uh as easily practiced because that i think that is what leads to the other abuse whether it's sexual abuse financial abuse uh, just, you know, we mistreat, I, I, unfortunately I could name names. I know pastors, there's still mega church pastors, um, that treat their employees like garbage. 
And you just right. go, how, dude, how do you preach on Sunday when you treat people like that? You know, yeah. but we've got, we do, we do have something in the system stinks. And I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know what to do about it. You, you got any insight? Yeah. yeah, man, again, Randy, your questions are on point this morning. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, you know, I, I agree. What's funny is we're actually going to go right back to David. So the majority of the pastors that I've encountered or, or read articles or read books or listen to podcasts um, that have that kind of authority structure that leads to that kind of abuse, mm -hmm. they use the story of Saul and David, right, where David refuses to kill Saul, even though he has the opportunity to do it, um, you know, and cuts his cloth to let him know, like, hey, I could have killed you and I didn't because yeah. you're God's anointed. Who am I to lay my hands on? It's not my time. And people point to that and they say, hey, look, this is what, you know, we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to, you know, bring leaders to account. We're not called to count, called them accountable. You know, we're just going to let them do what they're going to do because God has anointed them. He's put them in a position of leadership and we need to, to protect that. And, and so that's what they use. I mean, there's a book that I was um, forced to read when I was on staff at one of the churches I was at. Uh, that literally the entire book is about that that story of David and Saul. And and it was in an attempt to get us to just submit to the leader to whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. And to answer your question, in my book, what I talk about in that abuse chapter is that I think that the honest answer is in multiple facets is uh, is accountability. Now, how we get to accountability, I think, is going to be determined based on what local congregation you're a part of and how your leadership structure looks like. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the solutions I put out there as a possible solution is decentralizing the power. So many of these churches that we're even talking about, so you just listed off Carl Lentz, that's a great, another great example, where an entire church revolves around one personality of one person. And when you have a, an organization in a structure that's built around one person, it's really easy to convince people that the organization is too big to fail. So you want to bring up Ravi back up uh, the reason why those employees that, that they've come out now and said why they didn't say anything is because they believed that if they were to bring out to light what was happening, it would destroy the whole business, a.k.a. they would lose their job, a.k.a. they're taking food off their family's table. Right. So you can't even blame them to some degree because there's some self-preservation in, hey, I don't want to call these things to account. I don't want to you know, hold my leaders accountable because if I do there might be consequences for me. I might lose my job. I might lose the influence I've garnered. I might, you know, lose the community that we're in. And so most people in those situations are, are just staying quiet until the situations have become so bad that they have to come out or, you know, someone that is being abused comes out. Right. And, and so for me, I look at this whole structure and I go, how do we defeat this? I genuinely believe that it is a system of accountability and I think that you do that by having an eldership team that has shared governance, that has shared power, where it's not just one guy. Mm. Uh, we actually, my wife and I just started attending a church about a year ago that I feel like has done it in a really healthy way, where even when the lead elder introduces himself, uh, he says, hey, I'm just one of the elders on the, on the team here. And if you just attended on any given Sunday, you would have no idea who the head pastor was. Mm. And I think that there's some, there's some value in having uh, you know, a point person, a, a head leader to some degree. But I think the more the influence is shared and the governance shared where things aren't just decided by one person, and then there's a shared accountability where 
you know, you can be held to account. You can, you know, they can have other people speak into them to hold them accountable to, you know, toxic behavior that they're seeing. Yeah. And I think, I think there's ways to go about that and different, you know, like I said, I don't have one solution for every church, but I'm, I'm like, man, if we could increase accountability and share the governance and the influence to some degree, I think that's a good starting point yeah. to how do, how do we overcome the issues that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You need to write a book, uh, a follow-up book to the book you had to read about Nathan calling out David saying, you are that man who is right. <laughs> committing sin. Yeah, the flip side of, of just from an organizational standpoint, the flip side of having someone at the helm with the majority of decision-making power is that you get into, you know, things being run by committees that can never fully agree on something and it right. stagnates and it goes. So there's, there's, I see the dangers on both sides. We're kind of living in one and not the other, but if you move to probably, it, it, it's a, it's a classic problem with any organization. Um, yeah. but yeah, I do think the pendulum has swung too far to one way and we're seeing the fruit of, of a lot of that, unfortunately. All right, good thoughts, good thoughts. Um, I want to hit one of the other, well, a couple of the other topics because we could, we could go on forever. <laughs> I'm, I'm yes. curious because I didn't read this chapter, um, and this is a this is a pet peeve of mine. Leadership of women. Mm. What are you saying in that regard? Oh man, you're gonna go there. Let's do it. Well, yeah, okay. let's go for the most controversial uh, one. I, maybe that's not the most there. controversial one, but I'm trying. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, so, I mean, I think if you read the Bible, uh, you know, for me, the whole point in that chapter, I, I list out all the examples. Uh, but, you know, people are going to hold on to, you know, verses in Second Timothy. They're going to look at Ephesians, right? They're going to look at all these different verses, and I break all those down. Uh, so one of the things I love to point out about the the verse in First uh, Timothy 2, right, that talks about that women should, be, you know, learn in, in quietness and submission, and because, uh, you know, it says that they're easily deceived. Right. They, that Paul uses women as an example there. So if you're reading that in context, right, he's talking about leaders in general of the church. And he says that women should not lead men because they're easily deceived. And some people say, perfect, case closed, we're done, easy. Um, <laughs> Applies you know, to that, all people at all times. Right. But the but when you actually go look into what he's discussing and you actually read the entire chapter with open mind. Right. And again, for listeners that are out there, I just encourage you to read the Bible uh, in a way that I, I call intellectual honesty, where you go, hey, I want to read this, uh, you know, and I want to read it within the full context of the, the book and the chapter, the intent. Let's look at the chat, you know, the culture. And so at that time when Paul wrote that women were uneducated. Right. And so when he's listing out for me, it looks like an example that Paul is using is saying, hey, women should not teach because they are easily deceived, because they're uneducated. And he actually goes, and I love this about Paul, he uses the example of Adam and Eve. So we roll back to Genesis and we see, well, what is he even talking about? Well, if you go read the order of events, go read Genesis, you're, it's going to blow your mind, right? It, it, when I first read this and I first understood this, I was like, oh my goodness. So when God gave the command to not eat of the tree, he gave that command to Adam and then created Eve, and then Eve sinned. So the order of, it, of events is that Eve was not present when Adam was given the instruction not to eat from the tree, which means what? Adam was responsible for educating Eve about the restriction that God had given him about the tree. So either he didn't do that, or he didn't do a good job. 
So what that or, meant was or, is that or, or she didn't listen. Come on, man. <laughs> right, that could be true. But but when the when the serpent asks, did God really say? The yeah. reason why Eve isn't confident in her answer yeah. is because she wasn't there. She wasn't there. Right? She wasn't educated in that way. Yeah. And so when you realize you say, "Oh, Paul says, hey, women should not teach men because they are easily deceived." He's using women as an example of someone who's uneducated at that time. His focus is on the education of the individual using that. The reason why we know that is because he applauds other women in the New Testament. Right. You know, he talks about Phoebe, right? He talks about the deaconess of, of, of people, right? We're looking at Priscilla. Yeah. Priscilla literally held Apollos accountable when Apollos' theology was incorrect. Right. You want to know who corrected him? Priscilla, right? Who did Jesus trust the most important message in the world? That he had come back to life. Who did he tell to go report that back to the disciples? Yeah, Who did he tell? A woman. Women. Reversing. So if, if reversing the curse right. of, of Eden, actually, if you look at the right. events, they're actually right. a reverse. The of, yeah. Exactly. So so for me, I go in the book. I say, okay, let's look at these verses in the New Testament. Let's look at them honestly. I break it down historically. So if you're interested in this topic and you want to learn more, I'm giving you like the highlights. Right. I go into it. I go. I dig into it all. And then I go through the Bible and I say, let's view women the way that God does, right? Let's follow his example. And I list out a ton of examples, Old Testament, New Testament, of how God views women and treats them. I mean, you go look at Deborah. She was a judge over Israel, and that was appointed directly by God himself. And judges at the time, they governed the people. They were the heads of the military. They were making decisions for the entire nation. And you're looking at things going, hold on a minute. If if God can appoint Deborah, right? Or if he can empower Priscilla or Phoebe, I, I list a, I list a ton of women out throughout scripture in, in ways that they're being used. I go, okay, like to me, I look at it and go, there should be no restrictions of women using the spiritual gifts that they've been given. And so I talk about that in in, in that chapter. And then I also talk about it a little bit in the spiritual gifts chapter as well is that women are made in the image of God just as much as men are. Mm -hmm. uh, they are blessed with spiritual gifts just like men are. And, and uh, man, there's so many women that I have been personally influenced by, like Beth Moore and like other women I just hold in extremely high esteem that love Jesus, that love people, that are brilliant teachers of the word uh, that I have gained a ton from learning from. Uh, I mean, one of the most influential professors I had in college uh, was, uh, was a woman that uh, I still to this day think about almost daily about things that she taught me. And it was in in, in, in English class at Bible college, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, mm -hmm. I, I just think, you know, the Bible is littered with women that were empowered, that uh, empowered by God, that used their spiritual gifts in a way that were glorifying to him. And, and I just think any restrictions on that now, uh, man, the body's missing out on so much. I, I, okay, we're totally on the same page there, which gets me in trouble a lot. But I go, okay, if, <laughs> right, you get it. If in Christ there is no male or female, what does that mean? Because he's not, that's not a, like some kind of pan gender statement. We still sure operate in roles that are male and female for very important reasons from biology to the spiritual and, yeah. and order. When I say order, even in the household where the man is the head of the house, it's not a statement of, of uh, domineering authority and certainly not abuse. It's a structure for function. All right. You, you get yeah. It? All right. So you with me. Randy, let's go there, man. Ephesians 5. Let's go there. So I love talking about Ephesians 5, right? Because people love 
to talk about the, you know, Ephesians five, where it says that a man or that a woman should submit to a man and a man should love his wife more than himself. But you know, what is so incredibly frustrating to me is I've heard probably 10 plus sermons about submission to the wife and, and this exact passage. And they very conveniently leave out verse 21. They stop a little They early. very convenient. <laughs> they leave, they, they forget to read 21 before they get into 22. Cause what does 21 say? Yeah. Right. It says to submit to one another as you would a reverence for Christ, man. Like it it, read verse 21 and then go on. And then you go, oh, wait a minute. We're supposed to mutually submit to each other. Like you said, that submission looks different. Sure. But it's still mutual submission. And I think when you ask the question, well, what does it mean? Nor male, nor female. I think that is honestly just talking about our selves as image bearers of Christ. Right. Where we are justified by Christ's sacrifice that regardless if we're male or female, Jew or Gentile, whatever, that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, our justification is the exact same. Um, And yeah, like you said, I think God very intentionally created diversity on this planet in race and in gender and all these different things, right? I think he created us with diversity intentionally because I think it brings out beautiful things in one another if we're willing to live in community with each other and and see what that expression looks like. Yeah, I... Yeah, I to- totally agree. And I, you know, the first, <laughs> first, first evangelist. Well, not first. That's probably not true. Early, one of the first, one of the first evangelists. Maybe the first evangelist after Jesus started his ministry when he went to the woman at the well. And what did she do? She went and told the whole town, "You got to right. come. You got to come to Jesus." He knew me. He knew me. Yeah. Right. He he knew everything about he knew everything me. About, he still yeah. loved me. And that's the gospel. Well, and when we start limiting things because of gender or whatever. Well, like we lose so much. We lose so, so much. I think so too. Yeah. We, we, yeah. Absolutely. And and I just, it just baffles me. I mean, usually what it comes down to is well, I mean, because I've asked some some of these pastors, you wouldn't know where we got in a little discussion about it, and they're all great. They're they're great people. I go, you ever learn anything from your mother? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, you ever your wife ever teach you anything? Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What, and then what they say is, well, I'm talking about in the pulpit. And right. God and God's house, you know, and I'm like, okay, I, that's I, where I think Priscilla, Priscilla is a perfect example, man. Like she literally it. corrects Apollos. I mean, we're talking about the correction of theology, which if you're talking about, um, you know, theologically important, right? Yeah. We're ta- if you're correcting a, a pastor or a leader or whatever uh, because of their theology, that's greater than anything you'd say from a pulpit, right? So for me, yeah. I go, that's the highest order of influence is, is Pris- and we see it with Priscilla. I mean, her husband is like an afterthought, like we, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, like we just kind of put them together, right? But you're just like, no, like it's, <laughs> they're, they're there together, but it says that she's the one that's correcting Apollos. Thank you, Trevor. That's another arrow I'll just put here in my quiver for the next yeah, time I have that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It's good. But you know, here's here's another thing. I we get a lot wrong because we read scripture out of context. We don't understand, yep. especially in Paul's letters, we're reading someone else's mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't written to us. And uh, can we benefit from it? Absolutely one hundred percent. Can we see God's mm-hmm. character through it? Absolutely one hundred percent. But it was written to a specific people at a specific time in a specific culture for a specific reason with some pretty specific yes. messages. That's why the same people that will tell you a woman can't should be silent in a church, their wives are wearing nice clothes, probably some fine jewelry, and they didn't greet you with a kiss when you walked in the place. They get the cultural right. context except on that verse. So Yeah, exactly. I, I'm totally with you. All right, got to hit 
one more and I've got about three more I want to hit. So I'll just, I'll just throw it to you. <laughs> I've got time. Let's roll. Uh, yeah, let's okay. Well, okay. Which one you want to go? You want to talk race? You want to talk politics? You want to talk uh, prosperity gospel? What? Whatever you want to talk about, sir. Hey, well, let me say one thing really fast Please to you, Randy, just to just for anybody that's sitting there and their blood's boiling a little <laughs> bit. Um, I, I very intentionally, I start out this way in the introduction of the book. I say that what we're discussing right now is secondary doctrine, right? Uh, that there is a core of orthodoxy that, you know, the Nicene Creed of things that we say, hey, as believers in Christ, we have to agree on these things, right? The core of orthodoxy, this is non-negotiable. We can't argue about these things. But everything I discuss in my book, all aspects, is secondary doctrine, which means we can disagree and still love each other and still be in community with each other. And I think, especially in the last four to six years, because of the political cycle that we just went through, I think that we have lost the art of being able to disagree with one another mm -hmm. and still love each other. Uh, what we have learned over the last four to six years is that if we disagree, we hate them. They're a part of the other tribe. And then we start saying things like, if you voted for X, you can't be a Christian. If you hold this political view, you can't be a Christian. And that's just nonsense. It's just absolute nonsense. Uh, and I think it does nothing but divide the body and it's harmful and hurtful. And for me personally, I love having conversations like this or you know, I've been on a couple, I've been on a lot of radio interviews the last couple of weeks and, uh, you know, not everybody holds to the same views that I do, sure. but we can still have constructive conversations to at least make us think about things a little bit deeper. But if we get to the end of those conversations, we still say, Hey, we disagree. I still love you. It's all good. It's okay. So we even started before we started recording today, Randy, where you're like, Hey, we might get into it. You know, there might be some stuff that I say, and I'm like, fantastic. That's great. I have friends in my life that uh, have read the book and they come up to me and they go, Trevor, I really disagreed with you on this chapter. And I'm like, fantastic. And they're like, what? I'm like, it doesn't bother me that people you know, disagree with the thoughts that I have. It's honestly just meant to be a starting place for a conversation that I think will edify the body. Uh, you know, when I discuss any of these issues, the first thing I'm looking for is not whether I agree or disagree. It's the spirit in which they come. Yeah. And if they come with a spirit that is not godly, it doesn't even matter if we agree. I'm, it's not a good thing. I would rather talk to somebody who has Amen. a godly spirit about something that we disagree about than someone who has an ungodly spirit about something we agree about. So I'm, I'm checking. I'm checking it. that first. Uh, so yeah. Oh, okay. Since you brought up politics, okay. Position for me in you in your mind the proper relationship between church between God's kingdom. And, and politics, which is a necessary man's kingdom on earth. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. do you position those? What's the relationship there? Yeah, yeah. So I have a really simple way to explain the, this conversation, at least to start it. Um, and that is this. I believe that our Christianity should inform who we are as citizens in our politics, rather than our politics informing who we are as Christians. So I think if we have those in their in their proper respective buckets, I think we're going to be we're, I think we're going to be just fine. And I think what has happened is those roles have been reversed, where our politics are informing our Christianity, and what we see is uh, you know people prescribing to their party, which is perfectly fine. Like you just said, I think it's a great way to say it. Uh, I believe that we are supposed to be responsible citizens. We should vote. Yeah. We should, uh, you know, rep, uh, we should rep our representatives. We should pay, you know, give money to campaigns. All of that's perfectly fine. 
I am completely in a complete agreement that we need to be good citizens. We need to vote. We need to represent our rights, all of those different things. But where people get hung up is they have this belief that we have to be a Christian nation in order to, you know, survive or, or whatever, like whatever doomsday thing people want to walk out there. But I talk about this in my book is that we're not a Christian nation. We never have been and we never will be. Right. We are a nation that was created by Freemasons that was meant for um, people to have religious liberty to follow whatever religion that they want to. And God's chosen nation, if you read the Bible, is explicitly clear that that is not the United States of America, that it's Israel and it will always be Israel. And so do we want our nation to uphold you know, Christian morals and beliefs? Uh, I mean, if we vote for our representatives to represent us, then sure. And I would say the majority of the morality in our country revolves around, you know, Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. laws and, and, you know, like do not steal, do not murder, right? Lots of those types of things. Um, but I don't depend on my government to lead me, uh, you know, spiritually. Right. That That's not the purpose. Right. And if you look at what was the context of the majority of the Bible written in? Right. Oppressive regimes. Right. Look at what was written in Egypt in the Old Testament or written under Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon in in the prophets. Right. Or look at, you know, most of the New Testament was written under Roman rule. None of those none none of those governments were conducive to Christianity. Right. Or to or to Judaism in in the Old Testament. Right. So so I'm looking at it through the lens of um, we have nothing in the Bible that says that we have to live in a nation that is Christian. What does that even what does a Christian nation even mean? Because if we're being really honest, look at the fruit of our country and what comes about our country. I would say there's a lot of things that we do as a government and as a nation uh, that would not we would not describe as Christian fruit. And for for me personally, when I look at it through that lens, I go, oh, I can separate myself. I have one bucket that's a citizen and one that's a follower of Christ. And me being a follower of Christ influences who I am as a citizen and not the other way around. And what we've seen is that Christians have really, you know, camped out on their sides. We're on the extreme right. We get into Christian nationalism and on the extreme left, we get into this, you know, uh, you know, Christian progressivism where there's, you know, moral relativity and and both are incorrect like right? both are a, a system that is going to elevate political uh leaders and systems above where they should be uh you know yes we live in a country where we have re- religious freedom we should appreciate that you know we love that and we should uphold that we should do whatever it costs to make sure that we can continue to do that however we have those freedoms right now. And the people that are saying that we don't have those freedoms, I'm like, man, look at the Middle East. Yeah. Look at China. There are literally Christians being murdered and jailed because they profess Christ. That is not happening in this country. You have the freedom to read your Bible, go to church on Sunday, go to Bible study on Wednesday. Right? You have the freedom to do all of those things. None of those things are going anywhere. And uh, and so I think when we conflate our nation to uh, Christendom, you know, when I, I talk about it in my book, anytime religion is mixed with government genocide happens man like bad things happen you know even christians with the crusades people die and then there's christian you know there's nations that uh you know are are with another religion that then oppress christians and and, and kill christians alike for me i really appreciate and believe that it should be a separation of church and state uh but again that's just my personal opinion Mm -hmm. people don't have to agree with me 
but I just look at it through the lens of nothing about what my government does informs anything about who I am as a man or who I am as a, a you know trying to follow after the Lord with everything I have. I don't depend on the government to lead me in any shape or form in those areas. Okay. Uh, I know I just threw a ton at you. You did, yeah, and so. I'm, I'm, I'm going, okay, yes. where do I go with this next? Because yes. I agree with most of it. I, 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 I There's nothing that, that jumps out that I go, oh, I disagree with that. Okay, so that, that's what I guess I'm looking for the balance. So when you talk about the founding of the country, uh, I mean, those were some pretty strong biblical principles under a lot, if not most. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't think I could say all, or they probably would abolish slavery immediately a lot of them wanted to but they at least paved the path so that we could um mm-hmm. but generally i mean there's, a, there's there were a lot of christians involved in the process uh and mm-hmm. e- even the idea of religious freedom where where a christian would stand up for the right for a muslim to pray uh for the right of someone who doesn't pray at all to not go to church, never have to go to church, right? Because uh, that's really what they were coming out of. They were com- coming out of government-ordained right. churches, and they are like, yep. the government get the hands. The whole separation of church and state, as you know, comes from a letter uh, to the Danbury Baptists. It's not in the Constitution, right. but it's the principle. And the idea was that the government will stay out of the church, not that the church would yeah. not have any influence on the government. Um, have you read Tony Evans on— yes. Yep. The, the, the idea and, and his, his, his analogy helps me when he talks about the, f- the football analogy, because I know, you know, <laughs> I know, I know this helps you too, based on our previous conversation <laughs> yes. before we started. Yes. But the idea that there are, there are two teams in politics, you know, that you got in our case, we call them red team and blue team, and they're going in opposite directions. They each have a goal to get the ball across, you know, the other person's end zone and each, each of them have a job to stop the other from making progress. And so you see this this mm-hmm. back and forth going on. And, he, and his point is that there's a third team on the field, and they're in black and white stripes, and they're saying, mm-hmm. this is how you play. That's not how you play. You've gone too far. You have to stop. And here are the mm-hmm. boundaries. And he basically says that, that Christians should be the third team on the field, not the red team mm-hmm. or the blue team. Is that is that a decent picture of what you're trying to say? Uh, honestly, no, <laughs> and, not, and not that that's not a honestly not that it's not a bad thought. Um, but I think that we as Christians can we have influence within our government? Absolutely, and that is through raising up men and women with character and integrity, and uh, and doing things according to the you know living lives that are worthy of the calling that God's put on their hearts. Um, you know, and I, I have zero problem. You know, most of the time when people are voting for people that most align with their value system, of course, they're going to vote for someone that, you know, more than likely is following the same religious course that they are. And so, yeah, the majority of the people that I vote for, you know, I believe are men and women uh, that follow after Jesus and that are, uh, you know, doing their best to influence the system in that way. And in that in that form, like I said, I say it in my book is that's fantastic i have zero issues with that i think that's how our system is supposed to work yeah. uh, but the but the thing is is we're not a theocracy randy uh, right sure. a theocracy no, no, is yeah, where no. god where god is saying hey i'm telling the leader what we're supposed to do and uh, they're going to do it and and that's where you can say that like israel was god's chosen nation that was a theocracy right judaism you know uh, like it i failed. said 
it, it failed <laughs> in that regard too, right? When we mixed government and Judaism, it did the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I had I had one interview that I did where a guy tried to get me by saying that. And I'm like, no, I agree with you, right? Like, I don't think that having Judaism and government combined was a good thing either. Uh, but for me, I go, how can we be responsible citizens, followers of Jesus, uh, you know, vote, rep, you know, get representatives that represent our viewpoints and our and, and, and do it through that that course. And that means that's great. But I have zero interest in forcing people to be Christians. I have zero interest in saying that our, our leaders have to be Christians. I just I don't think that that's the case. My 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 where I come from is as long as the leaders that we're electing are. Uh, upholding our constitution and allowing us the same rights and the same freedoms that we have as as Americans, uh, you know, for me personally, that's that's great. That's all I'm looking for. Uh, and like I said, do I want laws and, and rules and things that uh, you know are parallel with Christian morality? Sure, absolutely. But I'm not going to force people to follow. I, I love using this example. And then, uh, uh, sorry, I've been talking so much. No, that's, that's great. great. <laughs> I, I, I love talk. I I love using this example. I don't go down to Mexico and expect people that live in Mexico to abide by United States law. Hmm. Would you agree with that? That'd be yeah. really strange if yeah. I went down to Mexico and said, hey, so in the same regard, I don't expect Christ or I don't expect non-Christians to live according to Christian morality. That's true. Right? Because they're not on the same team. We're not in the same country. Like we're not citizens of the same place. I can't hold non-Christians to Christian standards. And so, and so that's what I don't get, like trying to legislate, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to get in hot water here on your show. So Go I apologize, for it. Go for it. but I'm, but I'm like, even, even the example of like same sex marriage, right? I look at that through the lens of as a citizen, I go, I don't expect same sex couples or, or people that, you know, live in that lifestyle to abide by Christian morality if they're not Christians, right? I don't, I don't expect them to uphold right, that. Right. And so in the same vein, I go, if they're going to, you know, be in a monogamous relationship, according to the government, why don't they get the same tax breaks that I get as, you know, as a heterosexual male in a, in a marriage to my wife? Yeah. And I, I think there's conversations that we can have in that in that arena where we go, OK, like, where does the line start and where does it stop? And, and where, you know, where do we go from here? I just think it's ridiculous when Christians are holding non-Christians. I, I, I saw a senator, I think say this the other day, uh, gosh, gosh, probably months ago now, where some, like another senator quoted scripture and said, well, according to scripture, we shouldn't do this. She's like, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that your Bible is an authoritative text in right. my life. Right. Why would, why do I care what you think about your Bible? And I'm like, that's a really valid point. I can't hold people to a standard of something that they don't prescribe to. You know, and so I think that's where things get really sticky. And then if we really believe that Christians are supposed to be in charge of the entire government, and we're supposed to be a Christian governance and all this kind of stuff, that means you're going to be forcing non-Christians to live by Christian standards. And for me, I go, I, I don't think that's our place. I don't, I don't think that's any, I don't think that's mandated in scripture anywhere. It's a good conversation and we're probably not going to hit the end of it, unfortunately. Um, and there is, it's, there's, there's a lot of oil and water going on because I think the way you, you stated it that strikes me the best, just feedback, is we're not citizens of, of the same kingdom. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's the way I view politics is you got, you got the kingdom of heaven, which is God's reign in people here on earth, and it should influence every sphere of human 
kingdoms, whether it's arts, you know, culture, education, politics, uh, all those areas should be influenced, but they're not the same. And I think that's right. a little bit of what I hear you saying is that, that they're not the same. Well, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised uh, on that. Did you have the Governor Newsom's billboards up in Washington saying, come to California to get an abortion uh, because yeah. it's what Jesus yep. would do? Yeah, yeah, jeez, yeah, no. yeah. Goodness gracious! <laughs> wait, 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 which baffled me. I kind of get it when yeah. the, when the politicians who claim to be Christians try to use the authority of the Bible to non Christians, and you go, like you said, you're like, you know, they don't recognize that as any kind of authority. So you're kind of talking right. different languages. But when people who aren't Christians try to use the Bible, yeah. to, I was like, we've, we're all over the map here. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Great conversation. We could go on forever. We're not going to solve all the problems. And if you're watching and you you want to dive in a little bit more and go, okay, I like what he said there, but I'm not sure about that part. Just go pick up Brick by Brick by Trevor Whitman. Yeah. It is available wherever you get books. Uh, there's his website there, trevorwhitman.com. He's got some podcasts where he talks about some things that you might want to drop mm-hmm. into those. He's thinking about doing some more. You can send him a message and say, talk, Trevor, talk. We want to hear more conversation <laughs> about this. Uh, and, and I'll let you, I'll give you the final word, um, on this. I feel, I feel a little bad for those who have watched this long because we don't, we haven't, we haven't given them, here's your answer on a plate, but I really don't think that's how it works. Yeah. What's your, what, what, what do they go away with today? Honestly, my, my prayer and, and hope, I appreciate anybody that's been tuning in to this whole thing. I know that, I, that there's been a lot, <laughs> a lot of ground that we've covered. <laughs> It, my, my, my advice or my encouragement is, uh, you know, if you're reading my book, read it through the lens of saying, hey, I, I want to evaluate these topics with an open mind and just say, I, I know what I may believe currently. Most people have, you know, strong stances on a lot of the topics that we've discussed today. Um, and that's not a bad thing. And I do, too. Uh, but the, the thing that I learned from this process the most is just praying and saying, Lord, open my eyes to see what you want me to see, my ears to be open to hear what you want me to hear. And honestly, my the, the verse that has been ringing, uh, you know, through this entire process, Randy, is actually in 1 Kings uh, 18. It says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same way, um, you know, Elijah had to rebuild the altar. There's a lot of parallels that I actually draw in my book uh, to Elijah in that situation. Uh, but it's my prayer is that, um, you know, if if you have elevated politics higher than your belief in God, uh, may, may this be the opportunity that would draw you back to him to realize that God is on the throne, right? It doesn't matter what politician is in power uh, or what country we live in, that God is on the throne, that he loves us, that he's forgiven us. Um, and and honestly, that we would just return back to him. I think we so easily, myself included, uh, you know, it's really easy for us to wander. It's really easy for us to start idolizing things in our lives or worshiping things in our lives that we shouldn't. Um, and God's just asking for us to come back. And, and so my prayer is that if you're reading, if you read my book, um, if you if any of today has piqued your interest and you're like, man, I want to I want to know more about that. I go into way more depth and in, in, in the way that I lay out everything is I'm, I'm very um, methodical in the way that I think in the way that I construct 
uh, my arguments, they're not really arguments, but for conversation's sake, like how I build it sure, um, is in such a way that hopefully will help you think about things on a deeper level. And then my really honestly, my honest to goodness prayer is that you would take a lot of these thoughts back to your local congregation and say, hey, are these some areas that we need to make some adjustments uh, or does it just affirm what we're already doing um, and help us to be more confident moving forward? Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of how I want to leave it off is that my prayer is that this would edify you and edify your church and uh, and that you would just follow Jesus more fervently than you ever have. And that this would be a springboard um, into doing that. I think you'll be good with that with that foundation because we can build on that. Right. We, yeah. Even if we have to move this brick <laughs> and, and put another one here, uh, as long as you're you're working for edification and construction of God's kingdom, you'll be fine. And and I think we all Amen. can, and we'll all actually, things things will improve and we won't be embarrassed by some of the stuff that's happened. So very good. Thanks yeah. again. Amen. I really appreciate you, Trevor. Thanks for having me on, Randy. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys out there watching. Hit share. If you haven't liked, followed, subscribed, do that now. Catch us on, on, on the podcast. We're in a bunch of them and that's growing. Uh, but of course you got all the social medias as well. We appreciate you. If you're, if you don't find us on one, look on another. We've got quite a few. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. It's the only book he ever wrote. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know what God's book says. This is God's Word, brother. It's a food. It's finished.